back in the Gospel of John again tonight. So turn to John 14. And we talked about last week the coming of the paraclete, the coming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is sending. And we're going to talk about that again tonight, the second of two messages. And although at the same time, as we're going to see in the next few chapters, Jesus is going to continue to give us more information about the coming of the Spirit. This particularly is his introduction to the ministry of the Spirit that really that we get to experience in full effect today. Jesus is describing what will be to his followers and his disciples. But we even even have a greater experience in that we experience as soon as we trust Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These men have to wait a little while longer. And so Jesus is explaining um, this further. Now, remember in the context here, we're in the upper room, the Last Supper, as it's called, Jesus and his disciples. The other, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give us more of the details of the actions of what happened and not as much of Jesus' teaching. And we owe it to the Apostle John, of course, through the power of the leading of the Spirit, that he gives us the content of the teaching of what Jesus is saying to his followers as he literally gets ready for his betrayal and crucifixion. And so these are important words indeed. And um, again, another reminder that they are troubled. They're troubled about the fact that he says that he will have to leave. That's not something that they expected. And it's still um, really intently on their minds. We're going to see from one of them tonight, one of the questions that he's asked. And you kind of get the idea as Jesus is is, um, teaching and instructing them here that they're really, um, they're, they're waiting on every word almost. And so they're, they're asking him questions. What about this? And what about this? Because he's turning their expectations upside down, really, as he continues. But now in this passage, he's encouraging his disciples as they're facing this troubling news that um, they will do greater works as far as spreading the gospel than what he intends to do while he is with them. And they're going to be able to do that through the role of one. Remember in the original Greek, it's called that this person is called the paraclete or the spirit of truth, as Jesus says, that will be sent to them to enable more spiritual growth than really they could have ever anticipated more understanding. They're still trying to figure out this unique relationship that Jesus has with the father. And they understand that it's unique, that he's the Messiah, that, his son's, that, that he's the son. And maybe, and, and it does seem they're starting to get an idea of his deity, but they really won't have full understanding yet. But Jesus will send this helper, this um, advocate that will help them. And so we'll read the first part of this passage um, from verse 15, even though we're going to continue. Um, we're going to start talking about it tonight in verse 18. This is from last week. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's just what followers do. That's what disciples do. They love him. They're willing to obey. 
It's not just an emotion, but it's acting out on their commitment, on their love for him. And I will ask or pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, helper, to abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells or abides with you and will be in you. These disciples had experience, whether they really realized it or not, some ministry of the Spirit, but nothing like what they're about to experience literally in a few weeks. And uh, Jesus tells them more of that soon. But here is his comfort, that he will not leave them without his presence, and that presence will be truly a capable helper, a devoted advocate, one that will help them, will be in their corner, and will help them to grow and to please God with their lives. Father, let us be tonight encouraged that we don't go it alone. Let us be exhorted as well that we need to stop trying as believers to do it alone. That when we try to live the Christian life in independence from the helper that you've given us, we will have disaster. But that when we submit and um, let this helper that we're going to continue to talk about tonight, the paraclete, our advocate, do his work, that he will, we will see great spiritual growth, and he will truly be of help to us to understand your word and to live it out on a daily basis. So help us to appreciate more his work, even as we continue, as Jesus continues to give this hope to his disciples. Help us to love and appreciate the work of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, even more, and be more willing to submit to him on a regular, daily, hourly basis and not try to go it alone. Thank you for the help that you give in the power of the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we saw in the beginning of this, the coming of the paraclete, that Jesus will provide a capable helper for his followers, and he will ask the Father to send a devoted advocate. That, that Greek word paraclete literally means one who comes alongside to support, to provide aid. And uh, he, he uh, has functions in numerous ways, in a legal capacity in one sense. Um, he is an advocate or defense counsel sought by an accused person. Uh, it was not someone who was a highly trained professional, but it was an eyewitness or character witness that was required, someone whose relationship to the accused enabled him to speak with authority, an intimate friend rather than a person professionally trained in law, a friend that would be, that would speak for us. And the Holy Spirit certainly does that, even in our prayers, as we're told through in Ephesians or in other passages of Scripture, that he helps us to pray and helps us in many other respects as well. He would be our helper. But he does more than that. He speaks to us. He helps us to understand God's word. All of these things we described last week. A witness that vindicates and judges. A helper and aid. A counselor and teacher. He's someone who does whatever is necessary 
to help our best interests, which are spiritual, our spiritual interests, our spiritual growth. He will help in this, and he is the spirit of truth. He will always tell us the truth. Even in that quick description, we already see the blessing, the blessedness of this person, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that Jesus would give his followers and that we're able to experience today his presence. Well, to verse 18, I'm sure the, whatever the disciples were expecting, it wasn't what Jesus was, re, was talking to them about, describing for them in relationship to someone else coming along and helping them. And they're probably still thinking centered on Jesus. That's good. It sounds like having a helper, an advocate would be wonderful. But we thought you were going to be that person. And Jesus does indicate that this helper would continue the ministry work that he has already started. He would be another helper of the same kind. And so I think the disciples at this point are thinking, that's great. But are we going to have your presence with us in the future? You're leaving us. You said you'd return. When are you going to return? We thought you would never leave us. And so Jesus, in this beautiful, comforting verse, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. The King James says, comfortless, I will come to you. The Greek word here has the word for abandoned children. And what Jesus says is, I will not leave you as, as abandoned children. Um, they could look around their society and see orphans that didn't even have orphanages that had to scavenge around in the streets. And even in more modern history today, even in the as, as soon or as recently, excuse me, as the 1800s, you had orphans that were on their own and, and without um, help in many um, industrialized um, countries, even our own country. And even today, you go around the world and I've heard stories of children that are abandoned and have to fend for themselves. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to leave you as children abandoned. I will come to you. What is he talking about there? Well, certainly, after his death and resurrection, he would return to them again. Isn't that true? In an amazing way. But then what he wants them to understand is that the time for um, the world to interact with him is coming to a close. And when he leaves, he says, verse 19, yet a little while, it's not much longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. And do you remember Jesus has been telling his audience, his, the crowds, that, that they only had a limited time to come to him in faith, to follow him in his earthly ministry. Now he's telling his disciples that time is pretty much over. But don't worry, you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. Here he's referring to his resurrection in terms that they still don't fully understand. But he says, you'll see me live again. And because of that, you can have full confidence that you will also live. Here we have reference to new birth and new life and resurrection and life, eternal life with God forever. And the disciples will think back on these important words that Jesus is giving them. Once he's been raised from the dead, they'll remember that and they'll remember that's why we have new life. 
That's why we can, we know that he'll be coming again because we know that he was resurrected. He was raised from the dead. And Jesus is imparting these things onto them now so that they'll remember them after when he's hanging on that cross, they'll remember these things. They will see him again, the multiple appearances to the disciples, to his followers, to the women, Mary, to Peter, to the disciples, eventually Thomas and so many others that would uh, see Jesus and interact with him. He says, don't worry, I'll be back. And then verse 20, in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Um, This is interesting. A lot of scholars look at these few verses and say Jesus has left off talking about the Holy Spirit and now is referring entirely to himself, that they will see him and he will still be able to minister with them in a limited sense for a limited time. But folks, verse 20 goes beyond just Jesus' presence with them. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to think of him introducing this helper and then not even having any reference to the Holy Spirit or the helper in verses 18 through 20. And then again, uh, mentioning him after verse 24. No, really, this is also, although Jesus is primarily referring to the fact that he will see them again, there's still a hint here that they will interact with him through their relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, I believe that in that day primarily refers to the day of Pentecost, when they would experience the filling of the Spirit. And then they would understand in an even more direct, um, intimate way, this truth that he's been trying to get through to them, because they'll have the Holy Spirit within them. How do we have any chance at all at understanding the workings of the Trinity, really? That I, Jesus, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. How do we understand? It's only through the Holy Spirit's work in us, folks. And so Jesus is saying, there will come a day where you will have this helper, and you will be able to understand in a more um, complete way what I'm referring to in my relationship with the Father. Not fully, because we'll never fully be able to understand that truth, right? It'll never fully to grasp because God is greater than us. And we can't fully understand. Three personalities, three persons, one God, amazing. But Jesus uses this language of deity and of of the Trinity. I am actually in my Father. Then he says, you and me, and I and you. Now, of course, he's not referring to any in any way that will be deity. We understand that. But he's saying you will experience very soon a more intimate relationship, a more personal relationship with me than you ever have before. And that will be accomplished with his leaving and going to prepare a place for them. And folks, today, again, we are able to experience that in a way that the disciples, his followers, couldn't at this point, in a way the Old Testament saints never could. And we take this relationship and this experience for granted. And yet it's marvelous that we can know the presence of Jesus through the working of his spirit in our lives. What wonderful hope that would come to them in the midst of this. 
So even in these verses, he's saying, I will provide an inward sense of my presence through the Holy Spirit. With the presence of the Spirit in our lives, folks, don't we have everything that we need to be successful in whatever God would call us to do? Whatever decisions you're facing this week, uh, maybe it's an important business venture. Maybe it's an important conversation with someone that you have to have. Maybe it's time with family. Maybe it's uh, an important financial decision. Uh, all kinds of aspects where we, we many times find ourselves hopelessly inept and not able to figure out what is best to do. We come to that situation many times in our lives with, with decisions we have to make. Don't forget, you have an advocate. You have a helper. You have one within you. For those, again, that have put their faith and trust, have trusted in Jesus, you have the presence of the Spirit to guide you. Are you going to use him this week? Are you going to submit yourself to him? So many times we just step into our week and we just totally forget about this wonderful advocate, this paraclete that God has given to us, that Jesus has sent to us to help us. Let's not do that this week. Even through this reminder in this passage, let's remember the presence of the Spirit, depend upon Him. That's a good word, depend upon Him this week in a way that perhaps maybe we haven't for a while. Take advantage of the Spirit's work in our lives. He's in us, and He lets us know that Jesus' presence is with us. Well, Jesus will manifest his presence in his followers, and he will manifest his love to them, verses 21 through 22. More encouragement here. Whosoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Again, the other side of this that Jesus is pointing out, he's saying, if you truly are a follower, if you're following me, if you love me, if you're committed to me, it won't just be a bunch of nice words and happy feelings and emotions, but it will be a commitment. You will faithfully, you will be committed to obedience and what I've told you and what my father has told you. You will keep my commandments. Love in action. And for those of us parents who, obviously with our kids, don't we remind them uh, many times that one of the best ways that they can show love to us is by their obedience. I love to say this at Christmas time because my boys are very have tender hearts toward giving gifts at Christmas time, and they make gifts for each other, as I've told you before, and they also like to give gifts to their parents. And so every year they'll come to me, Daddy, what do you want for Christmas this year? Now I know they don't have money to really, you know, get what I would really like to have or whatever, and that's beyond the point anyway. But what I tell them is many times, um, and this is this is true and honest in my assessment. I say, you know what? All I really want this year is obedient children. Dad, come on. What do you really want? And my point is not saying that they're totally disobedient all the time and they're always doing what's wrong. But, but my point is, if you want to show your love to me, remember, it's through obedience. And that's what Jesus is saying here too. If you are committed to obeying me, then you're showing your love to me. And when you are a true servant that loves me in that way, you will also look at the end of the verse. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest or disclose myself 
to him. Well, why would he say that? He's already shown himself to them. They've spent three years with him, basically. What else could he do in manifesting, disclosing himself to them? The Nazbi uses the word disclose there, and I think that's a helpful word as well. He's pointing out that through the work of the Spirit, that there will be an even more close understanding of the relationship that we have with Jesus and with the Father. They'll be able to interact with us in an inward spiritual way that has not, they've not been able to experience up until this point. A more wonderful way where they'll know in their hearts that Jesus loves them. And he will be able to manifest and reveal himself even more clearly in his word as the Holy Spirit works the message of his word in our lives. Um, a more, if you can put it this way, intuitive way of relationship that they would experience for those that were true followers of him. And if they had truly depended and put their trust in him, they would want to obey him. And so Jesus is encouraging them that his departure will put into play all of this and that they have a lot to look forward to. And it really is encouraging, but they're not quite getting it yet. And this may be a little confusing because in verse 22, we have Judas. Judas? Well, I thought he already left and he's ready to portray well, there are two Judases in the 12, and uh, the, John helps us to understand that. Judas, and he says, not Iscariot, so that we understand this is not the betrayer talking. This is actually a Judas, the other disciple, um, was probably related to James in some way or another, um, a relative of James, and he's a little more obscure. He's only mentioned a few times in the Gospels, but even an obscure disciple is clearly hanging on Jesus' words, and he has a question for him because they don't understand still. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Another, I like what the Nazbi says here, Lord, what then has happened that you will do this? Because they think that there's been a change, like kind of a last-minute change in the plans. Why would you do this, Jesus? We thought you were going to be with us forever. And you were going to, you know, you're going to establish that earthly kingdom and you're going to take care of our political enemies and um, we're going to have freedom and you're going to rule and reign and you're going to manifest yourself to the whole world. They're going to know who you are. And now you're saying that you have to go away. What, what's happened? What has changed? That the plan has changed. Well, they really don't understand the plan at all. But here Judas is saying, okay, you're going, to show yourself, you're going to show yourself to us again, but you're not going to proclaim your, your, your um, kingship to the world? And Jesus gets back to the topic at hand and kind of redirects their thoughts again. And he helps them to see what's most important right now is that they follow him and are committed to him through what will happen. In verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
True followers is what Jesus is saying here will experience the bond of love with God to the extent that he will reside within them. The whole point at this point in Jesus' ministry is not to establish his political kingdom, but it's to establish an internal relationship with his followers. And Jesus is pointing them back around to that. Get rid of your ideas of my um, becoming your political king right now. That's not what's important. What's important is that I'm going to allow you to have a better, closer relationship with me through what through my leaving and but what's about to happen next. And then he says this wonderful thing at the end of verse 23. He's already said he will manifest his love to them, and that's through their relationship with the Holy Spirit. Then he says he will make his home with them. And at the end of verse 23, my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you remember that just recently he has said to them, I have to go away to make a home for you? What does he say now? By the way, I'm also going to be making my home within you. Wow. Now that's really cool. That's amazing. What wonderful words and what comforting words that he would literally make his abode within us. And how does that happen? Only through the power of the spirit. The beauty of our relationship with the spirit is that literally Jesus can make his home with us, his presence with us. And he says, that's for those who are my followers, who are committed to me. But verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. He says, if you're not willing to believe my words and believe and follow after me in my commandments, then you're not truly a follower. And then he reminds them again, you can trust me because the words, all these wonderful words, strange words that I'm things I'm telling you, you can trust me because they're straight from the Father. Part of my mission is to explain to you my mission and what, what is about to take place. Talking about Jesus making his abode in our home or in ourselves, in each of us, his home within us, reminded me um, Right after I graduated seminary, or actually, it was actually, I think, a few weeks, a few weeks before I graduated seminary, Leslie and I had been living in, um, because of the situation we were in, Leslie was teaching at Bob Jones University, and I was getting, finishing out my seminary degree, and we lived on the bottom floor of one of the men's dormitories, which was an amazing, memorable experience all in of itself. I should use more illustrations from that more often, but this isn't one of those. Um, toward the end of that, as we were getting ready to graduate, we found other accommodations as we wouldn't be able to stay there any longer. And she had one of, she was teaching Spanish and one of her mentors who also taught Spanish had an apartment in the back of their home that was freed up. And they, um, it worked out. We were able to stay there our first uh, year of married life apart from working in studying at Bob Jones University. So we had just moved into this apartment. We were still getting things in order. It was very small. Um, I think Leslie might have even been pregnant at that point with, with Arden. And I got a phone call. Leslie was out shopping and I got a phone call. And um, on the other line, as I picked it up, he said, hey, Brock, this is Dr. Rod Bell or Rob Bell. Excuse me. It's Bob Bell. Yeah. 
And I said, oh, Dr. Bell, <laughs> this is the last person I expected to call me. Dr. Bell was the uh, director of the seminary. He was um, the, the, the main person over the seminary, over the seminary program. And he said, you know, I've been meaning to get with you. We have something that we do for all our graduates. And um, I haven't been able to do this yet. He can't, um, but he was a character. He was a great, good man and uh, incredibly intelligent. Learned much from him. And he said, uh, we always do an interview with all of our graduates on the way out. And I haven't been able to do that yet. And he said, uh, oh, what, what's your time look like for tonight? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I, I can't really. I said, my, my wife's, you know, I, I can't really leave right now. I'm doing some things. He's like, oh, no, I don't mean that. He said, I'll come to your house. Uh, I said, well, um, uh, Dr. Bill, I don't know if tonight's a good. Oh, no, it, it'll be fine. I won't be there long. And we just have to ask you a few things. And, you know, I, I'm only about just 10 minutes away. Um, can, can you do that? And I mean, how do you say no to the dean of the seminary, basically, or the director of, of seminary? I'm like, uh, OK, great. I'll be there in 15 minutes. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, this place is a disaster. I got to get this thing cleaned up and things looking. And, and you know, because the dean of the seminary is going to be in my home soon, whether I like it or not. And he came and I was able to get things together. And Leslie wasn't even able to be of help because she was away. And um, so he sat down and he went through and asked me some different questions and different things. And it worked out okay, but it was awkward there for a while because of a prestigious guest that I looked up to um, that had come un almost in a way unannounced or at the last minute to my home. I was not prepared for his presence within my home. Well, in the exact opposite way, isn't it wonderful that as much, even a more distinguished guest, that Jesus Christ himself waits for us to ask, to trust him in faith, and then agrees, not by surprise, but agrees to not just visit, but to take residence within us through the power of the Spirit. That's not, or that should have shouldn't be an awkward situation or a difficult situation, unlike my experience, but it should be something that we're ready for him to do. Um, I don't know. I, I, I looked this up the other day. I remember hearing, and I don't have time to go into all of this tonight, but there was an old story written that's called My Heart Christ's Home by a guy named Robert Boyd Munger. And he was a Presbyterian minister who wrote this in 1951. I highly recommend, I'll leave it out there for you to read it. You've probably heard parts of this before. But have you ever heard that phrase? And I'm sure almost all of us have used this at one point or another. When you're giving the gospel, have you ever said to someone, Why, you, can, you can even right now ask Jesus into your heart. Well, have you ever thought about that? What does that mean? What does it mean to ask Jesus into your heart? A number of years ago, I was um, confronted by that. And, and just in an aspect of, do, am I, do I understand everything that I'm saying when I'm giving the gospel? Or am I just going through it kind of rote memory? And I, I worked through, what does that mean? Well, we have in Ephesians 3, 6, it does say that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So it is the experience of Jesus dwelling within you when you put your faith and trust in him. And then we have this passage where it says that he will come and make our home with him. But I would just encourage you, if you're going to use that, 
be ready to explain it because it's going to sound a little weird to those that have never heard the gospel before that you're asking somebody into your heart. What's that mean? So be ready to explain that or just not use it at all until you're comfortable with it. Anyway, this man kind of gives a, a picture of a story of what it would be like to have Jesus come into your home. And he describes it uh, in this way. He says, one evening I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. It was at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire in the cold hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness, and he filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I've never regretted opening the door to Christ and never will. After Christ entered my heart and in the joy of this new relationship, I said to him, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around and introduce you to the various features of the home that you may be more comfortable and that we may have fuller fellowship together. The rest of the story is him taking Jesus through the different rooms. And as he starts to do that, he starts to realize, oh, you know, there's some embarrassing things in these rooms that I, if I thought about this well, I wouldn't have wanted Jesus to see. Now, this is a story, and there are some aspects to this that don't work quite as well as some of the others, but it has a whole idea of what it means to have Jesus oh, abiding within us in our willingness to submit everything to him. Here's just one small aspect as he takes him into the first room, the library. The first room was the study, the library. Let us call it the study of the mind. Now, in my home, this room of the mind is a very small room with very thick walls, but it is an important room. It's a control room of the house. He entered with me and looked around at the books in the bookcase, the magazines upon the table, the pictures on the walls. As I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. Strangely enough, I had not felt badly about this before, but now that he was there looking at these things, I was embarrassed. There were some books were there that his eyes were too pure to behold. There was a lot of trash and literature on the table that a Christian had no business reading. And the imaginations and thoughts of my mind that hung there were shameful. And I turned to him and said, Master, I know that this room needs a radical alteration. Will you help me make it what it ought to be to bring every thought into captivity to you? Surely, he said, gladly will I help you. First of all, take all the things that you are reading and looking at, which are not helpful, pure, good, and true, and throw them out. Now put on the empty shelves the books of the Bible. Fill the library with scriptures and meditate on them day and night. To help you along in this, here is a full-size portrait of me to hang on the wall of your mind. And he continues to describe how he takes him through the different rooms of his life, so to speak. The dining room the living room, and then there are some other rooms that he wants to keep to himself, the rec room or the entertainment room. And he doesn't want Jesus to go there or be with him when he's with his friends enjoying things, and he finally realizes, no, I told Jesus I wanted him in every aspect of my life, so he needs to go with me in this too. And if, you, if you've heard this before, there's one more room. It's a hall closet that Gina, Jesus finally confronts him on, and it has an awful stench. 
And he says, in this closet were some of the things that I was still hanging on to, sins that I knew was wrong, and yet I didn't want to let them go. And Jesus said, I can't stay here with that stench. I can't um, reside and um, help you in the way that I want to if you're not willing to give this up. And so he gives it up, and eventually he ends up just, what he says, transferring the whole title of his life over to Jesus. He saw, he said, I dropped to my knees and I said, Lord, you have been a guest and I have been the host. From now on, I'm going to be the servant. You are going to be the owner, master, and Lord. And folks, as wonderful as the truth is of the Holy Spirit residing in us, he is our helper. But we also have to be ready to submit things to him that he points out. He says, this needs to go. Jesus, as he resides within us through the presence of the Spirit, says, this needs to go. Have you looked at this? Are you willing to get rid of this? Are you willing to submit to me? Having the Spirit's presence within us is wonderful. But we also have responsibilities to submit, to seek his guidance, and to do what he's called us to do. Let's, as we go throughout this week, let's be willing to remember the fuller of the experience that we have, that even the disciples didn't have, the presence of Jesus to guide us and direct us, and be grateful for that presence of the Spirit in our lives. Father, help us to be willing to submit to this all-encompassing, wonderful presence of this advocate, this paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have provided him for us, that we can have a more close personal relationship with you because you reside in us in the spirit. And we can sense the presence of Jesus within us because of this wonderful gift that he sent. Help us not to take it for granted, Help us to submit to its to his guidance, the Spirit's guidance in our lives, even this week. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.